Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? <laughs> this presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Saturday afternoon to you, and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight, and we're coming to you live from American Family Field in Milwaukee. It is a very warm day, but the roof is closed here at the ballpark, and it's keeping most of the heat out. Some of it's getting in, no doubt about that, but the air conditioning is pumping into the visiting radio booth, and that's where uh, I'll be for most of the afternoon and into the evening here as the White Sox get set to take on the Brewers in Game 2 of 3 in this series. We saw a good starting pitching matchup last night, even if things got a little out of control for the White Sox in the uh, later innings into the 7th. But today, Carlos Rodon and Corbin Burns, the two starters, both of them with ERAs under 2.2. And then tomorrow we've got another great pitching matchup with Lance Lynn and Brandon Woodruff, the starters. Lynn with an ERA at 1.94, and Woodruff's got his just a shade over two. This is some really good stuff and a potential postseason matchup that would be uh, delightful, I think, for fans on both sides, of course, one being an American League team, one being a National League team, but that's still a few months away. Lots to do on the show this afternoon, so let me let you know what we're going to get into. This is... The last White Sox Weekly before Major League Baseball's trade deadline on July 30th. Remember, trade deadline just a little bit different this year than in years prior. And there's some different rules, too, so we'll go over some of those. Uh, Not so different from last season, but last season was such a short, brief thing, and so was 19. We'll get into it in just a little bit. But trade deadline coming up on the 30th. White Sox play the Indians on Friday, on that next Friday. So that series may have some new White Sox in tow. Shoot, there could be more White Sox in tow when the White Sox face the Kansas City Royals on Monday uh, on the road. So, you know, lots to, lots to go over here, and we'll probably focus quite a bit on Major League Baseball's trade deadline. We'll talk with Vinny Duber of NBC Sports Chicago. He's coming up next. Vinny covers the White Sox and does it darn well. He and the rest of the White Sox beat actually had a check-in with White Sox catcher Yasmani Grandal. You know, he had the knee surgery just a couple of days ago, about a week and a half ago now, I guess. And reports are coming back looking pretty good on one Yasmani Grandal. I'll let Vinny give you the rundown uh, in just a few minutes here on White Sox Weekly. We will talk to Colson Montgomery as well. That'll be much later on in the show, heading into our pregame show at 5.30 this evening. Uh, but Colson Montgomery is the first-round pick of the Chicago White Sox, the 19-year-old shortstop out of Indiana, a uh, high schooler, was picked 22nd overall. He has reported to his, uh, his mini-camp, is going to get to know you camps in Birmingham, and uh, we had a chance to talk with him, so we'll bring that back to you a little bit later on in the show. He's a fun kid, three-sport star at his high school in Indiana. He was a football standout in his first two seasons, freshman year and sophomore year. He was the starting quarterback on his uh, high school football team his sophomore season, played basketball all four years, uh, played baseball as well, and he's obviously one heck of a baseball player to get drafted 22 overall 
in the nation. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly, and you're going to want to keep it handy because we're going to play, I think for probably the fifth time this season, we're going to play Who Do You Want? Deadline's coming up. The White Sox have a couple of job opportunities. Most contenders do. To say nothing of the job opportunities, the White Sox are, like I mentioned, a contender. And contenders make moves to improve their ball club. So, in that vein, knowing what we know and figuring what we can about how contenders comport themselves heading into the deadline, I want to know who you want. Now, we've played this game before, and maybe your answer is the same as it was two weeks ago. Maybe it's the same as it was when we first started playing the game about a month and a half ago. But I do have rules for who do you want here on White Sox Weekly. I need a name from you, not just a position. Just give me the name, who it is that you want, and give me a why. A name and a why. Now, hopefully the why is something about the player that the White Sox might be bringing in. You don't have to do the salary computations. You don't have to figure out a return or a fair trade package. Though, if you've got it, lovely to hear it from you. That's what who do you want is all about. But I'll do the legwork for you. What I want from you on who do you want is a name and a why. We'll play that after we talk with Vinny Duber in just a couple of minutes here on White Sox Weekly. I want to recap just a little bit the first game of this White Sox and Brewers series yesterday because I think it dovetails nicely into uh, another issue, another episode of who do you want here on White Sox Weekly. Lucas Giolito pitched really well against a first-place offense. He went six innings. He gave up one run. He walked five and struck out three. But even still, what, what happened there was Lucas Giolito came into the game with probably less than his A-level stuff and managed to keep his team in the ballgame with some really big pitches at times. Let's not forget that part of it. Uh, I mean, the, the double play he got, the strikeout he got to end the sixth with two runners on. I mean, those are big, high-stress, late pitches that you've got to make against a really tough offense and keep your team in the ball club. Don't forget, he's facing... Not just Freddie Peralta, who for the Brewers came into the night with a sparkling ERA of his own and a really nasty wipeout slider, but he's also got the rest of the Brewers' bullpen to worry about, which is very good, and has some really high-end stuff at the back end in Josh Hader and Devin Williams, even though Devin Williams is on the injured list right now. I mean, this is, this is a really good Milwaukee team. Even if it is a little light offensively, and they may add something as we approach the deadline here, it can pitch. So... For Lucas to keep his team in the ballgame the way he did, that's ace-level type stuff, at least in my book it is. What we saw out of the bullpen, though, in Aaron Bummer and Ryan Burr was some mistakes, no doubt about it, some bad luck. I think we ought to be honest with ourselves about that. A strike zone that was movable, though movable for both sides of the, both sides of the equation, right? I think the White Sox and the Brewers suffered, suffered a little bit from a strike zone that uh, maybe wasn't orthodox let's just put it that way um, but bummer gave up three runs and so did ryan burr he gave up the uh, the grand slam to tyrone taylor an absolute moonshot out of here that really kind of blew the game apart for milwaukee but as we've been looking at what the white Sox could use heading into the trade deadline as we've been looking at what could shore up this first place team and their run toward a world series later on this fall What's come to the forefront, I think, for a lot of people is the bullpen. And that's okay. 
I think that's what contenders look for. They always add pitching. No first-place team, no second-place team has ever walked into the playoffs thinking, we're good, we got enough pitching I couldn't possibly handle anymore. Everybody is looking around for a better option or just more options out of the bullpen than they've got right now. That's the way the playoffs get played. The question becomes, just what level of arm are the White Sox looking to acquire? What kind of prospects will the White Sox have to give up to get a particular level of arm? More than that, what do they have on hand? And one of the things that got talked about quite a bit in the the post-game show, we had a couple of callers suggested, and I I saw it around on Twitter as well, there was, how do I put this, I guess concern or second-guessing about leaving Aaron Bummer in as long as Tony La Russa did last night against the Brewers. And to my mind, here's why Tony La Russa was looking to do exactly what he did. Here's why you leave Aaron Bummer in the game and let him try and figure some things out. Aaron Bummer's a really good reliever. If you go ahead and look, Baseball Savant does a really great job of measuring what's called expected weighted on-base average. And I won't go into the whole, you know, the gory math of it, mostly because, uh, well, mostly because it's Snooze Radio Central. But what expected weighted on-base essentially does for you is say, hey, if this guy's pitching really well, it checks out because the expected weighted on-base is really low. If this guy's not pitching that well, but the expected weighted on-base looks pretty good, maybe he's got some bad luck. Maybe there's been a couple of balls that just dropped with a runners on, that, yeah, that, that kind of thing. Aaron Bummer checks out when you look at expected weighted on base. He's one of the better pitchers in baseball, in fact, like a top 50, top 60 guy, and that matters. There have been some bad luck, some bad breaks into Aaron Bummer's season. There's also been some pitches that haven't gotten the strike zone. There has been some wildness, and there's been some mistakes. And I think you'd probably... You know, rack that up for a handful of White Sox relievers right now. The bullpen, on the whole, has not been the bullpen that they wanted to be coming into 2021. It has also not been a a real problematic thing. Can it be elite is the question, and what do you need to add to it to make it that way? I, I think those are kind of the next steps. So, you leave Aaron Bummer in there so that you can let him figure things out if he can. So that you can figure out what you've got as you're just a couple of days away, one week, less than a week, from Major League Baseball's trade deadline. What you've got here in the Chicago White Sox is a team that has a a huge lead in the American League Central. So in my mind, that's room to play with. That's cushion is what it is. It's a chance to figure out a couple of things here or there to let go some opportunities like this, not like let them get out of hand or anything, but let a, let a guy work and let a guy go a little bit before you you know, really decide exactly what kind of changes you may want to make to the roster. I, I thought it worked out just fine last night, even if the results didn't. I thought the process checked out A-OK. Let's head out to the phone lines real quick before we take our first break and then get uh, Vinny Duber from NBC Sports Chicago on the show in just a couple. In Lincolnwood, it's Kevin. Kevin, what's up, my man? You're on White Sox Weekly. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, so who would I want? Um, first of all, I think it's great that you just brought up Aaron Bummer. You know, he was definitely not the same pitcher this year that he was last year. And I think one of the main th- things with him, I don't think he knows how to pitch to get people out anymore. He's trying to strike everybody out. Hmm. And when he needs to get a strike, 
he can't do it because he's just thinking that they're going to white. He's thinking that they're going to swing and miss at everything. Um, I mean, he threw ten straight balls last night at one point. Nine, um, but yeah, it was a rough roll. Yeah, I mean, uh, he could have. I know he can hit the strike zone if he wanted to, but I know that those were tried. He was like, get him to swing and miss, get him to swing and miss, and he just wouldn't. And they just wouldn't have it. These batters are too smart. Um, now, who would I want? There's a few people that would be on my list. I mean, definitely bullpen help, though, because I think a contender needs that. Um, you could look across town at Mr. Kimbrell. That's ah, one guy. Indeed. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the price might be high to get him, but that's one guy. Sure. I'm also thinking maybe much lower price could be a bargain. Ian Kennedy in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kendall Graveman in Seattle is another guy. You're just ringing the bell, Kevin. Appreciate you, my man. I don't mean to cut you off. I, I appreciate you calling yeah, in I and bringing up a couple of names. Calls. Yep, got to get going and got to hear from Vinny Duber in just a second. But make no mistake, Kevin, and everybody else who is interested in a couple of names that he mentioned, we will talk about that other side of town and whether or not there's some relievers there to go pluck. We've got a couple of names uh, of my own that I think the White Sox may or may not be interested in or you might be interested in as well. Vinny Duber of NBC Sports Chicago joins us next. We'll talk White Sox with him. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. The final White Sox Weekly before Major League Baseball's trade deadline on Friday, July 30th. With me, Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago. He covers the White Sox and does darn well both the website you can find him on twitter too at Vinny duber is the twitter handle he's one of the lucky few that has his own name on the twitter handle <laughs> i mean that's as big as it gets man got there early early adopter i guess so Vinny, first things first my man thanks so much for being on the show appreciate mm-hmm. it uh saw you and the gathered white Sox beat talking to yasmani grandal down on the field What's Yaz up to? How's he feeling? What's the timeline look like for Yasmani Grandal? Yeah, I'm not sure we have a specific timeline quite yet, but Yasmani Grandal is running around out there. He's throwing. He's playing catch. And I think that's way better news than anybody expected. And, and you know, when, when he, he went down in Minneapolis with that, with that knee, uh, the tendon in his knee, you know, it looked like it was going to be another Aloy Jimenez, another Luis Robert out for a few months kind of situation. And the news has been relatively good. They hope that he's going to be back before the end of the regular season. And he was very hopeful talking to us just now. So uh, very, very pleased with how things are going in terms of his recovery and, and where, where he thinks he'll be come the important stuff at the end of the regular season. Catching is kneeling. That's the business. That's the job description. The knee is used to kneel, so I'm told. I, don't, I like to stay upright as best I can. I'm very old at this point. But is that a concern for him? I asked him point blank. I said, you know, your job is squatting for four hours every day. You'd think you'd need all your tendons in your knee to do that. And he said it doesn't affect him at all. He says it's perfectly fine. Uh, he says it's extension. That, that is the thing that uh, this tendon does, apparently. And mm-hmm. uh, he's when it comes to catching and, and being behind home plate, he's 100% confident that it's not going to be a problem whatsoever. Do we know when he can start swinging yet? Or if he is swinging just a little bit, you know, if it's off the tee work, that's one thing. But if it's facing live pitching, that's another. When is that point of the process? Yeah, those, those specifics weren't gotten 
into too too deep. What, what he said, basically, almost jokingly, is that you know he asked the doctor, "What's the quickest anybody's come back from this?" And the doctor said, "Well, three weeks." And he said, "So very unrealistically, I'm shooting for three weeks." And he he admitted, you know, that that was a little tongue in cheek. That that is a, an unrealistic goal that he's setting for himself. Um, but. Other than that, he's not really putting a timeline on anything, pinpointing a specific date, anything sure. like that. So as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, we are playing Who Do You Want here on White Sox Weekly today. So you'll kind of kick off the Who Do You Want segment. The first time we did the game, it was very fun. It was kind of in dire circumstances, though, because we, we first played Who Do You Want on White Sox Weekly the Saturday after Nick Madrigal went down with the hamstring injury. And obviously, White Sox fans wanted different things at that point. They wanted more. They wanted bigger because... We weren't looking at horizons for Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and now Yasmani Grandal that looked imminent, that looked like these guys were going to be in big league uniforms again. If I were asking you, Finney Duber, who do you want the White Sox to go grab right now? Or if there's a group of players, who are you eyeing up? Yeah, I think, and you know, this is maybe a tad reactionary coming off of what happened here in Milwaukee last night, but I think the bullpen is very obviously a place that not only is is more easily upgraded because of the availability of relief pitchers at this time of year, done so without having to give up huge pieces like you might see if you're trading for a starting pitcher who's under control for a few more years, something like that. And also, it's a need for this White Sox team. I mean, the collection of arms that they had in the bullpen back in spring training, you were everybody was sitting there salivating that this is going to be one of the best bullpens you've ever seen. And they were very hopeful. Their expectations were sky high. You remember some of the quotes coming out of Glendale that were, you know, we want to be 90-0 and 0 with a lead late in games. And, a lead you know, after five. I mean, we, people, people laughed at it at the time, and now they keep bringing it back up as, as these stumbles keep happening. But obviously, as every man in that bullpen will tell you, those expectations have not been reached those it just hasn't been reality and with you know Evan Marshall still injured right now and and guys like Michael Kopech kind of being eased back into things you know there aren't this there isn't this plethora of really dependable guys that you can turn to when it's a one-run game against a first, another first place team late in the game so I think more getting more is just better, and I think you will. It would not at all surprise me to see multiple relief arms added to that bullpen here at the trade deadline, just because for the reasons I said earlier. And you go to last night and you look at it, and it's a one run game, and you bring in two relievers who you would think you could depend on Aaron Bummer with the track record up until this season, and Ryan Burr, who's been quite good uh, this year, and it just didn't work out. There's a difference between bringing in those two relievers and it turning into a seven to one ball game and it turning into a three to one ball game, right? So I think narrowing that gap, like you say, with the quantity makes a lot of sense. The question, though, I think a lot of White Sox, have, White Sox fans have on their mind is. Do these relievers, these unnamed hypothetical trades, do they cost Gavin Sheetses and Jake Burgers, or do they cost Lennon Sosas, or do they cost you know Jose Rodriguez's? You know where where are we at in that uh, in that transaction? Well, I'll just say, what's the one thing in that White Sox bullpen the White Sox don't need? And that's a high end closer. They've got him. They've got Liam Hendricks. They've got the American League All Star closer. That's the thing that costs big money when you're talking about relief pitching right or big players when you're talking about relief pitching and so i think when you look at these hypothetical deals right you're looking at relief pitchers who would not cost those high-end prospects the guys who are currently contributing on a nightly basis at the major league level because let's not forget yes aloy jimenez and luis robert and yes Mike grandal are coming back 
They're not here right now. Yeah. And, and these games, uh, you know, these wins count as much right now as they do in September. And so the depth that the White Sox have might be surprising because we might not have been forecasting, oh, man, Gavin Sheets is going to come come here in the middle of the summer and play such a huge role. We might not have been forecasting that back in March, but that's the reality right now. And so to part with a guy like that um, – hurts your depth, right? And this is a team that's trying to win the World Series, and you need depth to win the World Series. That doesn't mean that he's untouchable, or, or any of these guys are untouchable, anything like that. But right now, you don't, you've got a strength in your depth, it looks like, from the guys who have filled in. They've done such an astonishing job. Guys like Brian Goodwin, guys, you know, guys around the diamond. Even Larry Garcia, who's playing a lot of second base right now, Numbers have been all right. Sure. The offensive numbers sure. have been all right. So, I mean, that, that doesn't mean that they're not going to go out and, and, and upgrade, but those are guys that, you, that, that have shown that you can count on them. So, uh, we were talking about this earlier in the show, and we'll probably continue talking about it as we go here, but Aaron Bummer's performance this season hasn't been what Aaron Bummer wanted, hasn't been what White Sox expected, hasn't been what White Sox fans wanted. But as you scroll through Baseball Savant, and I actually have it up here if you want to take a look. I'm sure you've seen it. But he's in the 87th percentile for expected weighted on base average. And for those who aren't all that familiar with those stats, in particular, it's a shorthand way of saying he should be pitching better than he is. It's really what it is. Do the White Sox have a sense that he will get back to where he was at? Does he believe in where he's at right now? What is your sense of where Aaron Bummer is and what you can trust him with? I think after a few of these outings that he's had, and obviously, unfortunately for him and for the White Sox, there have been multiple of them, um, we've heard from Tony La Russa that that's bad luck out there. You're seeing some bad luck out there. And I know people don't want to hear that because they see what happened last night where he, where he issues a couple walks or he's they see a night where he hits a guy with a pitch, something like that. But look at what Aaron Bummer does. He gets ground balls, and that's how he gets guys out. He's getting ground balls, and it seems like they're finding the exact spot where they end up an infield single. And then a walk makes it two runners on base, and it just balloons into this thing. Obviously, he's not pitching the way he would want to. He's not pitching the way the White Sox would want him to this season. Nobody's trying to excuse the walks or excuse the hit hit batters, anything like that. But when you get a ground ball that should be a double play and it just happens to not be a double play, that's what can explain some of this stuff. Where's Lucas Giolito at right now, and how much do you take into account the spin rate changes over the last couple of weeks? Obviously, it's a huge story in baseball. He's far from the only pitcher affected by any kind of change. If there is one, he seems to still be pitching effectively, if not the same way he was this time last year. Yeah, I mean... you know, I, I I don't I don't want to wade too deep into that because I'm not as understanding as it, of it as a, a lot of other folks are. But but I'll just say this: baseball's game of adjustments, right? And so whether it's the hitters figuring out how to hit you, or your stuff is not working on maybe a more consistent basis, for whatever reason, the you've got to adjust. And we saw last night Lucas Giolito pitch a very good six innings of baseball in which he only gave up one run. He had five walks, one of them was intentional, and three strikeouts. It's a very un-Lucas Giolito-like thing, and it was still, you know, both uh, figuratively and literally a quality start, right? I mean, and so I think if you see that against a first-place lineup like this Milwaukee Brewers team is, if you can see Lucas Giolito do that, heck, he did it against the Astros uh, a week ago, Uh, I mean, this is the top-tier competition. These are the types of lineups he'd be facing in the playoffs. And he's still succeeding, and I think that's what you like to see. I still go back to the playoff start last year against the A's. That really, 
that really kind of blew me away how good he was able to be on that kind of stage, and that that's the kind of pitcher he's built to be. When you watched Andrew Vaughn the last couple of weeks, and I mean even the, you know, call it 10 days, 14 days going into the All-Star break, what has what has jumped out to you most? I don't want to lead the witness or anything, but there's <laughs> there's something that I've seen. I want to see if, if you've caught anything similar or, or if he's his performance has really jumped some. Well, uh, to, to jump back into the legal metaphor, I think, you, I think you misphrased the question there. <laughs> and what I think it is is what stood out to me about him all season. Right? Right. I mean, is that he is just steady. He is just solid as a rock at the plate. The approach is the exact same every time he goes up there. That's what the White Sox were raving about in spring training, and I think that's what you've seen offensively. But you're going to ask me the thing that's jumped out the most to me about Andrew Vaughn in left field? He's playing left field, yeah. and he's playing it really well. Yeah, I mean, he is. This is a guy who never played left field before, and you know what? X less than ten days before the season starts, he's called on to be the everyday left fielder because Aloy goes down, and he's done a terrific job. And you, not only have you not noticed that he's a first-time left fielder. You could argue, based on what we've seen from Aloy Jimenez the last few years, that Andrew Vaughn has been a defensive improvement in left field for the White Sox. And that's not to say that Aloy Jimenez is never going to play left field again, but it's to say that you went from a guy who was your everyday left fielder for the last two years to a guy who never played it before, and there was no decline. What then, because in a weird way, Vaughn is the guy that is both your biggest trade chip, potentially, and you are in a win-now mode. Flags fly forever, and it's a really difficult decision to have to make, but we see that decision, or at least those discussions, being played out in front of our eyes when you, you know, scroll through your anything right now. Well, I would, I would say, who are you trying to go get? Sure. You know what I mean? And I, and I think the... Well, I would hope that if, if, it is, if you are using Vaughn, and I, again, Vinny and I both don't know whether or not Vaughn is on a trade market or anything like that, but we've seen him in places. If you're using Vaughn, it better be big fish. And I would imagine controllable big fish. I would think it would be the the biggest of controllable fish. I mean, you've got a guy here in Andrew Vaughn who's impressing in his first taste of the major leagues. I'm not saying that's enough to wipe out the the guy who can get you to the World Series or anything like that. But remember what this rebuilding project was, was built to do, and that was to compete not just in 2021, but and beyond. And that doesn't mean that the White Sox are not are sacrificing 2021 in any way. It's just to say that you've got Andrew... Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. You can join us for Elvis Night on Friday, July 30th. The Sox take on the Indians at 7.10 p.m. Be sure to stay for the post-game fireworks show. It's presented by Beggar's Pizza. Lots more to do here on the show this afternoon. White Sox and Brewers getting set for baseball here at American Family Field. Already some news from the ballpark here at American Family Field. Uh, mentioned this earlier with Vinny Duber of NBC Sports Chicago, but I'd love to bump the thread if I can. Yasmani Grandal told reporters today that the doctor said the fastest recovery from an injury like his was three weeks from surgery. That would be Sunday, which he kind of said was a little tongue-in-cheek and and not something that's going to happen that quickly. But, you know, August 9th is five weeks from his knee injury. Remember Grandal on July 5th uh, tore a tendon in his knee. He had surgery to fix the issue. And it sounds like things are going really well with Yasmani Grandal. We've seen him kind of running around here at the ballpark and doing some uh, doing some drills, texting, test, testing some things out. Uh, Grandal had been as big 
of a straw to stir the drink for the White Sox offense as anybody throughout the month of June. The on-base percentage was there. He was really starting to hit something like a 255 or a 260 clip through the month of June. And into July, he had really come into the power stroke, hitting a couple of home runs, eight of them, I believe, in total in the month of June and in July. So in a time where the White Sox offense, remember the middle of June, that was that series against the Astros in which the White Sox were swept in Houston. You know, for a little bit there, White Sox offense got a little dry. Yes, Manny Grandal was the guy watering things down a little bit, and that was important. Getting Ashmani Grandal back into the mix offensively for this team would be big. Defensively, perhaps even bigger, his presence behind the plate is a serious one. Uh, and I think, or at least given the way the reports are going right now, I, I, I think the White Sox could get away uh, with not having to trade for any kind of catching help which is certainly a boon considering they've got, uh, you know, probably some other things, some other trade deadline needs to attend to when not having to spend capital on three positions, you know, in theory, a reliever, maybe two, a second baseman and a catcher. And only having to spend that kind of capital on somebody who plays second base and somebody who might come out of the bullpen for you is a better situation to be in, in first place in the American League Central. Uh, That's a great situation to be in. A reminder that you can start your game day with a pregame patio party. Get a patio pass and game ticket and enjoy an all-you-can-eat buffet, all-you-can-eat drink. Sorry, let me get this right because I want to because I've been to the patio and it's a ton of fun. It's an all-you-can-eat and drink buffet. Boom, blowing your minds. For as low as $63 a person, for more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com slash patio. So uh, that's kind of the latest here from the ballpark on Yasmani Grandal, mostly thumbs up stuff as he recovers from surgery on the knee. We'll get uh, into the minor league update in a little bit this afternoon. What with Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Jake Lamb all working back from their respective injuries. Eloy, of course, the spring training injury to his chest. Luis Robert, the uh, hip flexor situation that he went down with early on in the season and Jake Lamb's recovering from a quad strain that has kept him laid up for a little while. Uh, But one thing I wanted to bump here before we get back to the who do you want portion of White Sox Weekly was just a little bit about Lance Lynn and the contract extension that he and the White Sox reached uh, just last week, actually, last Saturday. I was on the call for that game, so I didn't have a chance to talk with everybody here on White Sox Weekly, and I'd love to do so. You want to talk a little bit about Lance Lynn and what getting him signed to the White Sox for the uh, for the next couple of years means to the rotation and to plans elsewhere. It's pretty impressive to watch a team like the White Sox, who had been looking around at Lance Lynn for a little bit more than just this last offseason. Lynn's name and the White Sox were kind of paired together in last year's trade deadline. Uh, you saw that for, you know, you saw that in rumors kind of all over the place. And Lynn's price tag was fairly high, so said reports from the Rangers. And, you know, the Sox gave up uh, two good young players in Dane Dunning and Avery Weems to go get Lynn out of the Texas Rangers organization and put him into the uh, the rotation here. The results have been fantastic. They speak for themselves. The 194 ERA is sparkling. And what he's meant, I think, in terms of both personality and talent to this rotation has been evident. To say nothing of the fact that Lance Lynn, and let's not forget, baseball's a spectator sport. It's for the fans. It's for enjoyment purposes. Lance Lynn's a lot of fun to watch pitch. 
sometimes it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. This dude is a lot of fun to watch work, whether it's the screaming after the strikeout and the going crazy and yelling and all that kind of stuff, or, or whether it's the way he works. Sometimes the speed at which he works, the efficiency, the quality of pitching that he's able to show, it's been real meaningful for the White Sox this year. There's no secret that the rotation, uh, especially early on, carried the White Sox to their first-place record right now. And I think there's a lot more in Lance Lynn for next season, the season after, and then the option for 2024, right? 22, yeah, for 2024. What I think matters here, too, is this. You know, you kind of start to see how the White Sox, in year one of the plan, you know, kind of shifting into win mode, which indeed we're in, you know, right now, 19 games over 500, the White Sox 58 and 39 right now, is just how the next couple of years of winning ball clubs begin to shape for the White Sox. You know, I watch Michael Kopech pitch just like everybody else out of the bullpen for the White Sox this season, and I think, man, it is remarkable that he is as... It doesn't look like he's missed a beat. He's coming out there humming fastballs in at 98, 99, 100 with hair and life. He's snapping off breaking balls. The command and control, the poise out there on the mound, all of that. It looks like he's been pitching against big league hitters for five seasons. And instead, you know, White Sox fans know the trek that it's been for him to get back into the big leagues. That man's ticketed for the rotation, I think, one way or another. Now, whether that's a move that gets made, uh, an injury that pops up, all of those things are possible for the White Sox. But, you know, Carlos Rodon has earned himself. I love the way Vinny Duber put it earlier on in White Sox Weekly. Carlos Rodon did, you know, in, in a lot of fans' minds, what you're supposed to do. He stayed with the organization that brought him up and, and the organization that stayed with him through a shoulder injury and, a, and, a, and an elbow issue. He, in, in some ways, had his faith rewarded and rewarded the faith of the organization with the altering of his mechanics and a different mindset and really committing himself to the rehab over the last you know calendar year or so and performing the way he has, getting his first All-Star nod, getting a marquee assignment tonight against Corbin Burns and the Milwaukee Brewers. And I think that deserves, that was the word Vinny used here on the show a little while ago, that deserves a chance at free agency should he want it. And that's a really cool place for a pitcher to be, for a, for a player to be. I would imagine the White Sox and Carlos are talking long and hard about what it would take to stay here and make this a thing for a couple of seasons. But in signing Lance Lynn the way that they did last Saturday, you get to you begin to insulate yourself. You begin to build a rotation that can handle its own business, and I think that is a crucial thing, especially given the way the division sits over the next couple of years. Sure, it, it might be a walk away this season, but and, and, and that's yet to be proven. But the Twins still have a dangerous lineup, even after having traded Nelson Cruz. The Royals may well be up and coming the way they believe they can be. I mean, this is a division that, that might offer challenges over the next couple of years, and having Lance Lynn in the rotation helps you handle some of those challenges. When we come back here on White Sox Weekly, Len Asks is ready for you. We'll get to that. We'll answer the question. We'll play Len Asks. We'll get back to playing one of our favorite games here on White Sox Weekly, Who Do You Want? All I need from you is a name. And why, as we approach the deadline, I want to know who you want on the White Sox. But remember, White Sox fans, you can come out Saturday, July 31st, 
at 6:10 against the Cleveland Indians for Deaf Awareness Night. That's sponsored by Moraine Valley Community College. Visit WhiteSox.com/promos to purchase your specialty tickets now. So Len asks is next. So is the uh, second segment of Who Do You Want? 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Family Sundays are back at Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at $10 and parking for only $10. You can bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. This Saturday, we've got the White Sox and Brewers, or at least today we do anyway. Uh, Carlos Rodon and Corbin Burns matchup. Carlos takes his 8-3 and record in a 2.14 ERA up against the first-place team in the NL Central. Corbin Burns has been nothing short of electric this year, a 2.16 ERA, a 5-4 and record. And he'll face the Chicago White Sox, of course. These are some really stellar pitching matchups. If you caught the pregame show yesterday, you heard that this series, the White Sox and Brewers, is the first time in Major League history that five starters in the series are current All-Stars. You know, they were named to the All-Star team just a couple of weeks ago. Five of the starters of the six are all starting in this series. That's never happened before in Major League history. I want to head up to the phone lines real quickly here. Uh, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. We're playing Who Do You Want? Remember, the rules are, as we approach the trade deadline next Friday, from you I need a name and a why. I can do the research, and I'll look at the numbers, and I'll check the contract stuff if you want me to. We'll even talk about returns if you want. Uh, You don't have to do that stuff. If you have, that's great. But I need a name from you and a why. Let's play Who Do You Want? In Byron, it's Mike. What's up, Mike? Hey, Connor. Uh, the who is Eduardo Escobar. The why is because as much as I like Yearly uh, uh, Garcia or yeah. Larry Garcia, sure. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of true second baseman, and he does have some flaws, but I like him as that uh, switchblade guy. You know what I mean? So we need a true second baseman. And the bat is lefty and righty yeah. uh, from Escobar. Yeah. Uh, I really like that because they need that lefty bat in that lineup day to day. And well, I, I want to make another man. point. I want I want to talk about Tony LaRusso last night. All right, when he up, came man. out fired up on on the on the umpire more or less. Yeah. I think he was backing up his young pitcher. Because he got robbed of a few strikes. But I think he was trying to send a message to the team saying, hey, I got your back when I feel it's necessary. I love that. All right, Mike. Appreciate the phone call, man. I Let's deal with the uh, with Tony LaRusso getting tossed uh, last night. And I guess with Tim getting tossed last night, too. Tim Anderson was thrown out of the ballgame. Um, Tony made it really clear, uh, if you caught the postgame show, or even if he didn't, he still made it really clear, that he doesn't get thrown out for motivational purposes, so to speak. That doesn't mean that he can't show somebody he's got your back, or that doesn't mean that he's uh, you know, just going to roll over or what have you. 
he had a point to make uh, about what was going on. He didn't agree with the way the umpire was administering the strike zone to a certain degree. He also thought that there was a little bit of uh, ducking the strike zone going on, which he didn't think was intentional, but just a course of what was going on, a little bit like a a little bit like a balk or something like that. I mean, if it's happening, it's happening. You have to point it out. If you don't agree with the way the umpire is ruling this thing, sometimes you get tossed. Um, I did like that Tony, uh, and I, I think most people do, right? I think that Tony was pretty clear in his post-game comments last night on why he got run. Uh, and I appreciate that. Lay it out there. Let me know why. Um, and he absolutely did that. On the Eduardo Escobar front, I get the Eduardo Escobar conversation. I really do. He can play a little second base. He can play a little third base. And I think the Eduardo Escobar conversation was uh, was in a peak. A couple of weeks ago, we had some reports that sounded like the deal was close to done. Rick Hahn has talked a little bit since and really wasn't that close necessarily at that point. That's what he's been saying. Escobar can you know back up Yohan Mankata at third base, although we've seen over the last couple of weeks that Jake Berger is... Uh, you know, more than ready to handle his own, at least uh, so far. Escobar, in the month of July, is a 260 hitter with a 338 on base and a 586 slugging. He's hit five home runs over the last month. This season, he's a 250, 300, 485 guy. Got off to a really rough first month of the year. He would be a rental, so the cost there would be somewhat cheaper. He's in his age 32 season. And as Mike said, he hits from both sides of the plate. That's a decent pickup, and I like the cost. I think that's a really important thing here, too, because uh, as we've talked with White Sox beat reporters from uh, all over the place, the White Sox system has been depleted some, but for all the right reasons. All those top prospects are, you know, for the most part, with the exception of Nick Madrigal, who is uh, out with a hamstring injury for the rest of the year, they're up and playing meaningful ball games to help win the AL Central this season. So if you want to go get somebody that's, uh, you know, Joey Gallo's name has popped up a couple of times in, in conversations uh, here on White Sox Weekly. If you want to go get somebody that's, that's prime cut like that, it will cost you somebody who's helping you win games at the major league level. Now, whether that's Garrett Crochet or Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets or Jake Berger, that conversation's a little bit down the line, or maybe it costs more than one of those guys. But if you're going to go shop at the uh, at the prime cut, so to speak, you are going to have to pay premium prices. And I don't know that this White Sox organization is one that wants to do that in this season quite yet. Quite frankly, with the maturation of, of Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger, here at the big league level, I, I've been really impressed. Andrew Vaughn especially has impressed this year. And, you know, I can see a way, especially offensively, you know, if we're talking about, you know, trading for hitters, which are going to be more expensive than relievers, I could see getting away with the lineup you've got right now, waiting for reinforcements and calling it a day and saying, hey, listen, you know, offensively, my team is on the field. And if you want to go shop for relievers, you may not have to give up you know, some of the, the guys that are here helping you win ballgames. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Roger is in Naperville. Roger, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up, my man? Yes, I enjoy your show very much. Thanks, Roger. I just have first comment. I want to make a comment before I tell you who and whatever. My question is, why are the White Sox 16 and 25 against 500 above teams? Why can't they beat the 500 teams? Well, Roger, let me ask you this. 
They took two or three from the Rays. They just took two or three from the Houston Astros. And they took two or three from the Blue Jays. Those are over 500 teams. your point. I know we're waiting for this. But last night's game was really frustrating because I felt the little pitch really good. Well, I'll tell you this. Roger, I think you're breaking up a little bit. Hang on the line with us. We're going to see if we can see if we can get you back because uh, I want to hear who you want. But we do have to hit a break, so uh, this we'll do a little producing on air. Sean, hang on to Roger for me. Sean's our producer back at the shed. Hang on to Roger for me. We'll get to him when we get back. We'll get, do who do you want. But I, I'll sum it up this way with the uh, over 500 stuff. It's hard to beat over 500 teams. It's hard to beat the White Sox. So, you know, I, I think you kind of see what – the top tier of Major League Baseball is this season. It, it feels like this year is uh, it, it's kind of top-heavy, at least to me. You make arguments for some of the middle-tier teams and their ability to win a postseason series or maybe even a World Series. Could the White Sox play better against over 500 teams so far this year? Yes, I think they could. They've done what they've done, and that's keep their head way above water without two of the best players in their system in Eli Jimenez and Luis Robert. I think that counts for something. We'll get back to Roger if we can make the phone work. Who do you want is still up there for you, 312-332-3776. We'll get back to that. We'll talk about Hawk Harrelson when we come back as well. Hawk is being honored by the Hall of Fame this weekend. Thrilled for Hawk. We'll talk about that when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight, White Sox and Brewers tonight. Pre-game show in a little less than an hour. We'll get that rolling at 5.30. Len and I have the call at 6.10 for the White Sox and the Brewers. Should be a fun one and hopefully the uh, reversal of fortune for the White Sox after last night's ball game. Uh, You can join us at Guaranteed Rate Field on Wednesday, August 4th. As the White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals at 7:10, the first 10,000 fans will receive a retro White Sox T-shirt presented by Whittingham Meats. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. So, lots to do here in the last hour of the show, but I want to start with this because we missed it last. We had Roger call and then uh, getting into who do you want. Len asks is ready for you. You know, on Saturdays we do a little different. Most days. Your gateway to the booth is uh, a question into Len Casper or Darren Jackson. You get to ask them whatever you want. But on Saturdays, Len asks you a question. So, Sean, let's fire it up. What did Len ask today? Hey, everybody. For Len Asks Today, with the White Sox playing in a National League park this weekend, do you like the pitchers batting at any point during the season? Would you be all for the universal DH, or do you like the leagues being different? Let us know at ESPN White Sox. There it is, the eternal question. How do you feel about pitchers hitting in this day and age? 312-332-3776. That's the question you want to answer. Len asks. You can do it here on White Sox Weekly. You can hit us up at ESPN White Sox on Twitter, or you can just use the hashtag Len Asks, and we'll get into that uh, and your answers during the ballgame tonight between the White Sox and the Brewers. My spin on it is, is kind of like this. I think it's I think we're overdue for a universal DH in both. I do think that there are novelties and and you know fun things that happen with pitchers hitting. I mean there's Shohei Otani now, but that's a that's a different 
That's a different conversation altogether. That's just a, a completely different species of pitcher hitting. That's what it is. The, the man is, is that kind of talented. But, but what I do think, though, is there are a lot of National League fans. And I know this may not fit White Sox fans because maybe you don't have a National League team. Maybe you've always been an American League you know, fan if you're a White Sox fan. Nothing wrong with that. But I do think there are a lot of National League fans that have a nostalgia for pitchers hitting, for that type of strategy. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing with, you know, holding on to the way it used to get played and the strategy that it used to get, you know, kind of dealt with. Last night we had a situation, though, where Lucas Giolito was coming up to bat. Well, I, I really, excuse me, pardon. What we had was the eight hitter, Zach Collins, coming up to bat, and Lucas Giolito behind him. Two men on, two away. So Collins gets walked. Giolito gets in at bat. And it doesn't go the White Sox way. You've got Lucas Giolito hitting. And to me, that's not, yes, there's strategy involved in that call, but really anybody could tell you, oh, walk the guy and pitch to the, pitch to the pitcher, pitch to the guy who hasn't been hitting in, you know, like a year and a half, you know, do that thing. And to me, you know, it just, it kind of stops the momentum of the game and kind of halts things. I, I think because of the specialization in baseball now, we're ready to have our pitchers pitch, our hitters hit, our DH is DH. You tell me if I'm wrong, but that would be my question to Len Asks. There's a lot of wriggle room in between, and that that's what makes the uh, the baseball argument a whole lot of fun. Hawk Harrelson, a man who is no stranger to baseball argument and who is darn good at it, is having his weekend at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Hawk is the 2020 award winner of the Ford C. Frick uh, for excellence in baseball broadcasting. He exhibited that for decades in the game outside of the game, broadcasting the game while on the golf course talking about the game. Hawk is an institution, and it's it's a pleasure uh, to have Hawk Harrelson talking baseball whenever he wants to talk baseball. Looking forward to hopefully having a conversation with Hawk after his celebration is done in Cooperstown. But we've put together just a little bit of celebration of Hawk Harrelson here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, our guy Sean Anderson's work is on display now. Here it is. Let's just kind of kick back relax and listen for hawk you know you got your obps and all that and the vorps when they put in twtw and then interface those numbers with twtw under that category then you might have something cooking what, what, what tw is yeah what is that that's the will to win and by hickey way back you can put it on the board yes jermaine died Called by Hernandez. Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch. What a play. Wise makes the catch. What a play by Wise. Mercy. TWTW. Alexei. Yes. 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 No. History. That's unbelievable. What in the hell are you doing? What are you doing, Wagner? 
You gotta be kidding me. That is so bad, that is absolutely brutal. That is unbelievable. I'll tell you what, they have got to start making guys be accountable. That is totally absurd. That just tells you he has the Here's an umpire in the American League knows nothing about the game of baseball. That's unbelievable. You gotta be taping me. That's unbelievable. And this ball game is over. I've enjoyed it very much. I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. And I will never forget it. If you can a little bit, give us a couple of your thoughts. I'm going to give you one, and that's it. I love you all. And I always will. As I said, I'll go in my way for that. Thank you. Hawk Harrelson gets his day in Cooperstown this weekend. The event is on MLB Network. It's a TV-only event, but I know Hawk was lucky enough to have some uh, family there. What with the pandemic postponing the live event last season, he gets a well-deserved shout-out all over Major League Baseball this weekend. Our own shout-out to Eric Ostrowski, who put together that highlight reel of Hawk. I, I look forward myself to watching Hawk Harrelson's speech, mostly because I hope we get the, the answer to the age-old question, what are you doing, Wegner? I, I hope he gives us exactly what it is that Wegner was up to at that time, because I assume he got the answer from Mark himself. I just That's awesome stuff. Tell you what, here's what we're going to do now. Uh, we're going to plug the app, the ESPN Chicago app. Because if you were just kind of like tuning in in the middle of the Hawk Harrelson tribute that Eric Ostrowski put together, you're probably like, oh, my God, I need to hear that again. And you can do that with the ESPN Chicago app. Just download it. Check out the podcast of every single White Sox weekly show. You can also listen to White Sox baseball for free on the ESPN Chicago app. If you are in the Chicago area, just download it, pump it up. You can hear Len and DJ call White Sox games, and you're going to want to have that app as the Sox get closer and closer to the playoffs trade deadlines around the corner that's next friday we'll do a little bit more of uh, who do you want we've also got an interview with white Sox first round draft pick colson montgomery to end the show you won't want to miss that white Sox weekly rolls on it's the espn 1000 white Sox network welcome back to white Sox weekly here on the espn 1000 white Sox network Sox fans you could be in iowa on august 12th now is your chance to win tickets to the field of dreams game and support white Sox charities at the same time don't miss out on the opportunity to attend this once in a lifetime game visit whitesox.com slash field of dreams to find out more I know I speak for Len and DJ when they when I say they are both very excited for that game on August 12th at the Field of Dreams. And looking forward to it myself. Should be a real fun one to watch. This one should be good tonight. Carlos Rodon and Corbin Burns, the starters, as the White Sox and Brewers get set for game number two of this three-game series, just peppered with all-star starters. Each one, save Lucas Giolito, an all-star in this season and then Lucas was uh, you know coming into last night's game on quite a heater having thrown a nine inning complete game against the Houston Astros in the start prior 
threw a real good start against the Brewers and just, you know, the White Sox bullpen let one get away. That happens from time to time. We've been talking a lot about, um, well, about where the White Sox are as, as we approach the deadline on Friday. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is coming up on Friday, and the Sox are contenders. So we're playing Who Do You Want for uh, yet another issue of White Sox Weekly. Reminder that if, if you do want to play, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. There are two rules. You give me a name of a player that you'd like and a why. I'll figure out all the stats and contract issues and what may or may not be a fair return. If you've got that information, that's great. But all you name, all you need rather, is a name and a why. There's something I want to play real quick here as I'm watching the White Sox pay, take batting practice at American Family Field. I watched Yohan Mankata hit one over the shelf in dead center. You know, there's a big hitter's eye in center field here at American Family Field and that ledge that runs across. He got one pretty good, put it up there. He was swinging lefty at the time, so that was fun. Um, but one thing I wanted to play for you, and it was after the July 20th win against the Minnesota Twins. If you don't remember that one, briefly, here's how it worked out. White Sox scored five in the eighth to come back and beat the Twins. It was just kind of a little bit of a quiet game offensively for the Sox until the sixth when they put a couple of runners on and weren't able to score. Then the seventh, a couple more runners on, weren't able to score. And then the eighth, they blew up for five and came back to beat the Twins. Dallas Keuchel was the starter in that game. He went five, gave up two, struck out six. And I thought what Dallas said afterward, specifically about his team, where we're at in the season, how he feels about the 26 in the clubhouse was poignant. And it's from a guy who's won a World Series. It's from a guy who's won a Cy Young. So I wanted to bring this back to you on White Sox Weekly because I thought what he said was so darn fun and interesting about this White Sox team. Here he is, Dallas Keuchel, back from the evening of July 20th. You know, we've asked you a bunch about you know comparisons to this this team and a team you've been on that, that won the World Series. But do, do you see do you see that kind of uh, championship potential in a, in a team when they get wins like they have the last few nights? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're when you're fighting from pitch one to the last out, a lot of times some some special moments, some magic moments happen, and and you know we're not even near 100% health and to, to keep to keep doing this against some quality hitters and quality lineup like like the twins have is is I mean kind of remarkable so I'm not gonna dive too deep into it because I feel like you can you can nitpick a lot of things but then the at the end of the at the end of the day we're racking up wins and and that's what we want to do Dallas, you hear guys like us throw the word special around, but as a player and you know, a guy who's been on teams that have gone all the way, when when do you guys start to think special? I mean, we're in the second half now. I know you've alluded to August being a bear, but w- when does that word start to creep into your mind? Well, I think if if we're to get to 100% health and, and get Aloy back, get – Robert back, get Yaws back. Um, we're going to have a lot of difficult decisions to make on the roster. I mean, for one, we got some guys playing really, really, really good ball. And then two, we don't really know how we're going to, we're going to be playing with 
with a full healthy lineup, I mean, these guys have missed a lot of time. So to come back and just pick off where that pick up where they left off is is a big ass. So um I I would say that word would probably come into fruition at the end of September. I mean, if I'm being completely honest with you, because you gotta have a lot of leeway for Loy and Louie to come back and kind of I mean, essentially that'll be middle of May for them if they were to come back in August at some point. So that's not a lot of baseball for them to play. And then we expect a lot out of them. So that's not really fair. But I mean, like I mentioned before, we have a lot of guys who have been fighting and scrapping and, and putting in work and willingness to do the little things to get a win. And that doesn't go unnoticed, especially for the pitching staff. Um, and I know that doesn't go unnoticed when October comes because if you're not doing the little things right, then you're not going to come out on top. And I mean, I've seen that firsthand. So we have a lot of tough decisions. So I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a, a, a fun but but grueling point in the season is to is to really make a lot of decisions if a couple key guys come back. That's White Sox starter Dallas Keuchel. I just think that's so well reasoned, so rational, so down to earth. Uh, of a ball player's kind of evaluation of his own team and where they're at as they approach a deadline, which comes with hard realities for ball clubs, right? I mean, regardless of where you're at as a clubhouse, right? I mean, how you feel about everybody else in the room, and the White Sox have been really vocal since the start of last season. I'm talking talking pre-pandemic start of last season. The White Sox of a team have been very vocal about how they feel about the guys in that clubhouse. Take that all the way to this year with a week to go to the deadline, six days. In order to get someone in, someone won't be here. That's the business of baseball. I, I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to bring Dallas's words kind of back to you. I, I just thought they were really measured, realistic, and cogent from a ball player like that, especially given the situation the White Sox are in. Sox fans, grab your friends and head to the park for Bleachers and Brews, presented by Budweiser. Get one ticket, two beers, starting at $25 all season long. You must be 21 or over with a valid ID to purchase tickets. Visit WhiteSox.com slash brew. More to come here on White Sox Weekly. Colson Montgomery is going to join us in the second half of the 5 o'clock hour. You can join us as well. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. You got White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight, White Sox and Brewers. Coming up at 610 tonight, a little earlier start, which means the pregame show fires up at 530. Watching the White Sox take batting practice here at American Family Field. I'm on the call with Len today. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to, uh, you know, hopefully a real good ball game between the White Sox and the Brewers and a better outcome than in game one. Uh, Of course, 7-1 the final last night. The final score, not exactly indicative, though the Brewers did earn the runs they got against the White Sox bullpen. Uh, And that White Sox bullpen may well look a little different in about a week so than it does right now. Contenders make trades to improve the pen, and the White Sox are certainly contenders. The trade deadline comes up on Friday, July 30th. 
We've been taking your calls, 312-332-3776. Still a couple of uh, couple more minutes to squeeze those in. We're going to talk to White Sox first-round pick Colson Montgomery in just a few minutes here. Uh, but if you've got a guy you want, we're playing who do you want. So give a phone call, give us a name, give us a why, and you can be on White Sox Weekly here in the last couple of minutes. Uh, you can also, Sox fans, join us as the White Sox take on the New York Yankees. That's Saturday, August 14th at 6.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a throwback 1919 White Sox jersey presented by Xfinity. It's the fastest internet in Chicago. Purchase your tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. One of the best Major League Baseball reporters, one of the best national reporters in the business is Jeff Passan. Uh, the ESPN 1000 flagship station has Jeff on as a weekly guest on a number of its shows. I like Jeff a lot. I think he's one of the best. Really enjoy talking with him when we get a chance here on White Sox Weekly. He was on the Carmen and Yurko show earlier this week. I want to say it was Thursday. So keep in mind, you know, rumors move fast, but I, I think it's still pointing. I think we're, we're still definitely going to play it and talk about it some. But this was back on Thursday. And Hassan's point to Carm and to Yerk was about the White Sox making a trade to bolster their bullpen and doing that trade with their crosstown rival, the Chicago Cubs. I know. Headlines. <gasps> Gasps. But here he is. Let's let Jeff work out his theory. Go ahead. If you're going to go after someone at this point, you're going to pay the money, uh, go get Kimbrell. Mm. Like can you can you imagine a back end of the bullpen with Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell? Would, would Good you, God Almighty! I mean, he might not have a say I, I, in it. Would Kimbrell be okay with not closing out games? I mean, it seems like that'd be Hendricks' job still. Yeah, I think I think Kimbrell would be okay winning a ring. I, I think most relievers would be all right winning a ring, especially when you're a guy signed to the money that Craig Kimbrell is. It's a good chunk of change. Something around thirteen to sixteen million dollars. Uh, there's a little flexibility in that contract with an option for next season. Something to think about there. The cost, though, for Kimbrel. We were just talking to Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, uh, earlier on the show. If you want to get a reliever who can come out and get outs in the sixth or the seventh, that's one cost. And that cost, depending on who you're looking at, reliever-wise, might not even be Gavin Sheets. Or Jake Berger. Two names that come up a lot in terms of, you know, major league ready guys that you could move to another club because you got outfielders coming back and active on the roster. Not that Berger plays the outfield, I know that. But when you're looking at spots, right? Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez are coming back. One's a DH, likely. One's going to play the outfield, of course. So if you want to go get somebody that's got impact, you can do a lot worse than Greg Kimbrell. He's one of the he's the top reliever on the market, no doubt about it. Strikeout steps back. Craig Kimbrell is back to being elite. It's going to cost you, though. Whether that's worth the price is another conversation. It would certainly help out the White Sox bullpen and inject a whole bunch of swing and miss. But I, I think shopping at 1060 West Addison when you're the White Sox, I mean, Rick Hahn talked about this. You go shopping up there and you pay a tax. And that was talked about when the Jose Quintana trade was done a couple of years ago and Q went to the north side and Eloy and Dylan Cease came here. That was an expensive move for the Cubs. And some of it had to do with the fact that you're doing business with your crosstown rival. You don't have, there's, there's no need to play stupid about that. We know that that's the case. Let's take one more phone call here before we hit the break and talk to Garrett Colson. 
or Colson Montgomery, sorry, I'm looking at Garrett down here on the field. Colson Montgomery, the first-round pick of the White Sox in the 2021 draft in Lions. It's Roy. What's up, Roy? You're on White Sox Weekly. So, actually, my suggestion was to go out and get a second baseman. Obviously, they need one. Uh, The one I don't know about is with the Yankees, if they're selling or not. They're at the point. Interesting. Which may mean D.J. LeMahieu could be on the market. Uh, That is... (laughs) Yeah, that is true. DJ just signed a pretty decent contract, though. I forget exactly. Uh, let me see if I can type and look him up at the same time. LeMahieu. Yeah, so the Yankees are an interesting case, right? Because I think, you know, we kind of know where they're at in the American League East. We kind of know, you know, we definitely know what the expectations are for the Yankees in any given season. They want to go win a World Series. They're definitely going to make the playoffs, or at the very least, you know, that's where their expectations are. That's how their rosters are set up, maybe most importantly. DJ LeMayhew, though, um, in terms of contract-wise and in terms of fit, you know, he signed with the Yankees for 15 mil all the way through 2026. And I think when you're looking at win-now additions for the White Sox, not, not that adding DJ LeMahieu to this lineup wouldn't be a good thing. Believe me, it would be. You're, you're looking at a price tag in terms of prospects dealt to the Yankees because of those years of control on LeMahieu and at $15 million, and it's a good piece, it's a good piece of money. It's a good way to make a living. Um, but you're going to have to give us some pretty decent numbers, uh, pretty decent prospects, rather, in order to make that number fit. So while, Roy, I, I totally understand wanting DJ LeMahieu on your team, I, I would probably say that there's not a general manager in baseball who looks at DJ LeMahieu and goes, yeah, we can work without him. Um, what, what is interesting, though, about that, that Yankees club, nine out of the American League East and four and a half back of the second wild card, is that they're starting to play a little better baseball. And you know, they've got a couple of their own injuries coming back. They're going to try Giancarlo Stanton in the outfield. Best of luck. And, and you know, you got to do that sometimes. But injuries have taken its toll and, and so has some underperformance offensively for that squad. I think they're still in it and still going to fight some, especially when you look at the rest of the teams underneath them in that wildcard chase. You know, the American League, well, I should say it this way, the White Sox have the luxury of looking at the American League and going, we got our division you guys, y'all go ahead and take care of your own business, but we're going to wrap up the AL Central. Meanwhile, Seattle's three and a half back of a wild card. The Yankees are four and a half back. Toronto's five back. Cleveland, despite all of their injuries and all of their offensive woes, are six back of a wild card spot. Now we're starting to get to a place where you're going, oh, man, I don't know that you're going to pull it all the way back. Look at the teams you have to jump. But the Angels are seven and a half back. And, and those, that team, those two teams, Cleveland and Los Angeles, well, Anaheim anyway, are kind of considered potential sellers at this point. And L.A., Anaheim, might get Mike Trout back in a couple of days. One more. I want to sneak in one more call here before we hit the break and talk to uh, Colson Montgomery, the first-round pick of the Sox in Evanston. It's Mike. Mike, you're on White Sox Weekly. Hey, hello. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, hey. How you doing? Uh... You guys really do a terrific job. Thanks, Mike. You know, I don't think we need another outfielder. I just don't think we need another outfielder. Um, the only move that I can think of making, frankly, is if you were going to make a move, it would be for a bat and a second baseman. If you want to, I don't know what it would cost you, probably plenty to try to make a move for Trevor Story. Mm. But, 
you know what? I mean, you could get Escobar, and you may not be better off than you are with Larry Garcia there. Um, you know, and I'm usually for making moves, but I'm kind of thinking there ain't a whole lot to do here that's tricky, and I don't think yeah. you need to grab another outfielder. I'd Mike, like to hear your thoughts, Connor. Sure, Mike. I appreciate you, my man. Um, you know, I, I think I think the focus is on the bullpen right now. Yeah, can you go get somebody that plays second base for you? Absolutely. You've got the space. You've got the availability. Larry Garcia does a great job as a utility player. Him going back into that role is a good thing for this offense and for the defense, quite frankly. Appreciate the phone call, Mike. Uh, got to hit the break here. Coming up next, Colson Montgomery is the first-round pick of the Chicago White Sox. He's a shortstop. He just finished up his first professional minicamp in Birmingham. We had a chance to talk with him. You're going to love hearing from a piece of the White Sox future. That's next to finish the show. Montgomery's batting cleanup here on White Sox Weekly. The pregame show starts at 5.30. Colson Montgomery's next here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. A special treat for us on the show today for White Sox fans as well. Our next guest is the first-round pick of the Chicago White Sox, shortstop Colson Montgomery. Colson, thanks so much for coming on the show. Tell me, what has the last week been like for you since being picked 22nd overall by the White Sox? Uh, I mean, they've been a very uh, exciting couple of days. I mean, especially just uh, getting here off the flight and then heading to the ball field and just meeting all the guys and going through a couple of workouts with everything. Uh, just really talking to all the guys about like where they come from and stuff like that, and a lot of routines that they do, and just learning a lot from from the older guys, and then also from all the coaches here because there's guys with a lot of experience in this organization, and that's just been a great couple of days. Yeah. So what's your you know 19 years old in Birmingham with all of these you know professional ball players now is your is your mindset just kind of be a sponge, absorb as much as possible, and then go out and do what makes you you? Oh, for sure. I mean, definitely just being a sponge with it all. And like I said, I mean, I'm I'm very I'm very social right now, especially with asking questions, seeing guys do routines, and just asking them, like what they're getting out of it and what are their kind of approaches with everything, and if they have any uh, drills or anything like that that could really benefit me from being a young kid. I mean, I'm just asking them everything that I can, and they might kind of get uh, annoyed a little bit of me asking questions all the time, but I mean, I'm just getting the most out of all of this. That's a good way to approach things. Colson, tell me about draft day and draft night. Uh, specifically, I thought the bow tie call was a great look. I mean, this was <laughs> you, you were on point for that whole night. What went into selecting everything for the evening? Uh, uh, I mean, just kind of. I kind of wanted to be different with kind of all the, the suit and everything like that. Uh, I knew a lot of guys would probably be uh, regular ties and all that stuff, but I knew that I kind of wanted to have my little bow tie and little polka dot shirt too to kind of stand out with everything. But, uh, yeah. So you're did, – did you know the White Sox were, were pretty interested in things? I, I know everybody had been to some workouts for you. It's It wasn't probably foreign for you to see – uh, Mike Shirley and the rest of the White Sox scouting department in and around some of your games. What was the sense that you had coming into draft night? Um, I knew that I uh, I probably could have went anywhere in the draft, and a lot there was a lot of talk with 
going uh, number 10 to the Mets, but then there was a lot of picks and everything before that that kind of got all messed up and everything. So then after after the 10th pick, I kind of had a pretty good idea that I was either going to one of the Chicago teams because my agent and I, uh, he was giving me updates and anything like that, and he said uh, they are talking to both Chicago teams. And so I figured I was going to be in Chicago either way. So then uh, right before the cut, when it was the Cubs pick, uh, my agent texted me and said, the Cubs are going with the pitcher and you're going to be a, you're going to be a White Sox. So it was kind of before then. And I kind of had a couple minutes to just kind of uh, recap and everything and reminisce on all my, uh, hard work that I've had to put in to get to this day. And it just kind of was just such a sweet feeling once the commissioner called my name. Talking with the first round pick of the White Sox, Colson Montgomery here on White Sox Weekly. So, I mean, it's, that's super cool that you had a minute to just kind of reflect and everything after you found out you were going to the Sox. Who did you turn around and tell uh, once you got that call from your agent? Who were the first people you got to tell you mm-hmm. were going to the White Sox? So once I got that text, I kind of, I kept it to myself for a little, like a couple minutes. And I was debating on if I wanted to tell my family or just let them figure out when uh, the commissioner called my name. But uh, I, right after a couple minutes and after the guy in front of me was getting all the hugs and stuff from his family, I was like, uh, yeah. So then I uh, turned the phone and let my dad read the text. I told my dad first. And then my dad told my whole family after that. So tell me a little bit about your high school career. or Tell White Sox fans about your high school career. You are a football star. You are a basketball star. You are a baseball star. I want to know, Colson, and this is the part of the show where you get to be a little bit, you be your own scout. You kind of pump yourself up a little bit. Tell me the All best right. play that you've made in football, in basketball, and in baseball so far. All right. So, yeah, um, I played football my freshman and sophomore year. And my freshman year, I was the I was the second string quarterback because we had a senior. But we ended up winning state that year. And then my sophomore year, that was when I was the starting quarterback. And I passed for over 1,500 yards. And I also ran for like 1,800 yards. And uh, my highlight in football was I had a – it was a six – touchdown game i had six touchdowns i had three throwing and three running and then uh then basketball yeah i i played basketball my whole life and i played it in four years of high school started varsity four years of high school and my highlight of uh, basketball was my junior year i scored 41 points in one game I broke the. I broke. Yeah, I broke the. Well, my freshman year, I scored. I scored thirty nine points, and that broke the uh, single game scoring record. And then my uh, junior year, I broke it by scoring forty one points. <laughs> and then uh, in baseball, it was kind of the. I mean, I you got, I got walked about forty five times. So there's that's kind of a little highlight. But it was also a winning state championship. Uh, I want to talk about state and the walks in just a second. But I so so I spent a little bit of time in Indiana as a kid. And for everybody outside the state, I mean, Indiana basketball is a big deal. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. a big deal, Colson. So what was the conversation with yourself through high school when you I mean, because you could have you could have gone to go play college hoops. What was the what was the conversation? What was the calculus about playing baseball over basketball? 
Yeah, so what went into that was uh, I had a lot of uh, big college basketball uh, teams. They were wanting me for just basketball. So then they also heard that I played baseball. And then uh, they would talk back and forth, the basketball and baseball coaches. And then the baseball coaches were like, nah, he's too good to play basketball. So then all the basketball teams were like, yeah, we're not going to get him because he's going to be uh, first rounder in baseball. So they all kind of, once they found out how good I was in baseball, they all kind of, uh, shied off, I guess you could say, but it was more kind of just what I thought long-term about myself. Um, I love basketball, but baseball just came in and kind of stole the show for me. So you mentioned the 45 walks, Colson. It's 39 with 11 intentional and you were yeah. walked twice in the state championship game. Did you see those two walks coming? Um, to be honest, the the first one I really didn't. But then the se- the second one, I kind of I kind of figured that was going to happen, especially because the, uh, pr- the after the first one, the guy behind me he struck out. So they, I guess they were thinking that they were going to get him out again. But they but then they ended up walking me again. But I guess, yeah, it's all respect and everything, but those are the situations when you really want to hit, you know. But then your dude, if I'm reading it right, your dude Ethan Bell came up with a knock after the second intentional walk, right? And, and he threw a, a, a two-hitter? Yeah, he yeah he hit a base hit down the line, and then I scored from first to make it two to nothing, and then, yeah, he had a two-hitter that game. That's pretty solid work. Do you keep in touch with Ethan? Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, Tim Anderson is also a very good basketball player. Have you guys <laughs> talked about playing shortstop or playing hoops or when the one-on-one matchup is going down? When the one-on-one? Um, no, I haven't gotten the opportunity to talk to him yet. So, which I figured a basketball conversation would probably get brought up. <laughs> How much? Uh, I-, I know the year leading up to being drafted first round is is pretty hectic for players, especially high school players. You had a lot going on and. You know, in this day and age with, with COVID, high school has a different feel to it, I'm sure. I, I bet you went in and out of, like, uh, distance learning and in-person learning. How much mm-hmm. Major League Baseball have you gotten to watch in this season? I, I have to imagine your schedule's been packed. Yeah, I mean, especially in my senior year, uh, my dad, me and my dad would, uh, we went to a couple Cardinal games, like if it was on a, a Saturday or or like a Saturday night or like a, a Sunday a Sunday day game, me and my dad would always go to the Cardinals game. So went to a couple of those, and then um, I got to go to a couple White Sox games. So those are pretty much the only times I got an opportunity to watch some Major League Baseball games. So your favorite player and favorite pitcher, and there's no pressure, you just get you don't have to answer with a White Sox. Truly, I, I want to know who you've been watching, uh, a starting player and a pitcher uh, in baseball the last couple of years. Who's your, who are your guys? Um, so my favorite player growing up was always Derek Jeter. I was a big Derek Jeter fan, but I guess you could say now in today's day, uh, one of my favorite players to watch is Corey Seager. And that- uh, for, for a pitcher... Um, I guess you could say um, I like uh, I like the Grom. I like sure. I like uh, yeah. 
tough not to. So do you, is it Seeger? Is it Seeger? Cause you guys have like a, a somewhat similar physical build. Do you see a similarity in yourself a little bit there? Mm-hmm, yeah. That's why I really like him a lot because I see myself and how he moves and uh, the body type and all that stuff. And just the things that he, do, things that he does. I, I just, I see that me and him have a lot in common. I, I caught your introductory press conference with White Sox beat reporters, and I loved the confidence with which you talked about your ability to both add weight and stay athletic at shortstop. Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, that's just me, me believing in myself. And uh, I know that um, I'm only 19 years old, so I mean, I'm going to get, uh, I'm, I'm going to mature a lot more, and also I'm going to be able to put on weight a lot easier, especially with uh i'm done growing you know so and and with my athletic athletic background i just feel like if i just keep adding weight and i just keep my athleticism and i do a lot of things that uh keep my athleticism athleticism in check too so just having that confidence too and all these uh professional trainers and everything too i know they're gonna want to keep me athletic and mobile so that's that's kind of what goes into all that yeah, Alan Thomas is going to keep you athletic. That's for darn sure. Colson, oh, yeah. really, really appreciate you hanging out for a little while. Have a ton of fun playing pro ball. Enjoy the 4,500-calorie diets. And I think we'll see you at Guaranteed Rate Field pretty soon, man. All right, sounds good. That's White Sox first-round pick Colson Montgomery. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for listening here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks to Colson. Thanks to Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago. I'll have the pregame show for the White Sox and Brewers coming up in just a few. 5.30, we'll get that rolling. Have the call with Len Casper at 6.10. Thanks for listening. Pregame show's next on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.